Hey, I'm Anna, writer of That Wonder Chick, and welcome to the Wonder and Wonder podcast, where I wander around the world, wondering about wonder, and then I wonder some more and make a podcast about it. As you might already have heard in previous episodes, we discuss topics about tourism and travel to encourage ourselves to reflect upon our role in the tourism industry. In today's episode, I interviewed Joseph Shear. Joseph is a research professor at the Center for Tourism Research at Wakayama University in Japan, and he's also an adjunct research fellow at Monash University in Australia. He is a board member of International Geographic Union, IGU, Commission on Tourism and Leisure and Global Change, and steering committee member of Critical Studies in Tourism, CTS, Asia-Pacific. So I met Joseph a few years ago on my pursuit to do a PhD, and he kindly invited me to attend to a couple of seminars that he was doing at Monash University. And today we discuss a term that, compared to what we have been discussing previously, the lack of travel, is when tourism overcrowds a place. But it obviously it has so many other complexities that what we would think. Today we discuss the idea of over-tourism. So over-tourism occurs when there are too many visitors in a particular destination. But how would we define too many tourists? That's the problem. And what are the impacts and benefits of having an overcrowded destination? So just to give you a little insight, Cinque Terre in Italy has the highest number of tourists per capita with an overall of 4,800 tourists per resident. In Dubrovnik, for example, in the old town, has an overall ratio of 1,000 tourists per resident. I have no idea how they managed to film Game of Thrones there, because imagine the volume of tourists surrounding the, the amazing architecture of the site. Another example is Venice, with almost 365 tourists per resident. So obviously these stats were recorded pre-pandemic, but you can check out what's happening in the tourism world and the arrivals of international visitors per country at the World Bank Data website. Make sure you check out the blog post that comes with this episode to have access to all the links that I have for you today. So it has seen by many cities around the world, there's a backlash of the local residents who inhabit these places and destinations that are overcrowded with tourists. So cities like Barcelona, Venice, Amsterdam are starting to take steps to tackle this, this issue. In Japan, for example, they're calling it tourism pollution, and in other places it can be confused with mass tourism. But today, Joseph explained exactly what differentiates over-tourism from mass tourism, what has driven these places to think about degrowing to tourism, and we start to reflect upon who bears the cost of the tourism growth. Hi, Joseph. Thank you so much for having us today. So first of all, I would like to, to get everybody to get to know you a little bit better. So if you can please tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a good opportunity to have a chat about some really important things. My name is Joseph Chia. I'm a professor in sustainable tourism at Wakayama University in Japan. I also uh, am an adjunct research fellow at Monash University in Australia. And my work looks looks at and questions uh, the impacts of tourism around the globe. So looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Uh, especially, well, I met Joseph a few years back at some of the seminars you were organizing at Monash University. And I remember I came along just out of interest, obviously, because that's that's what I'm interested in. 
but we have a lot of things in common. So this podcast, I hope, can be the start of many other discussions. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yes, yeah, there's so many, so many good things, and so good to have somebody on board who's uh, so experienced as you are. Yeah, thanks. So thank you for having us. Um, so, well, first of all, I wanted also to congratulate you on the Over Tourism book. Um, you've been doing a lot of work the last year with some of my old professors back in Brighton University. So yes. it's yes. really good to see things happening there with, with the yes. other professors that I had. Um, yes. And, well, for, for right now, for today's episode, I wanted to discuss with you what is Over Tourism. Okay. So most of our, yeah, most of our audience uh, have traveled to all these different areas around the world. And it's funny how they come back and say, oh, my God, Venice is so overpopulated mm. by tourists. Mm. So could you, how would you define over-tourism? Okay, I think, um, yeah, yeah, the over-tourism discussion has really um, uh, sparked a lot of interest. And it's, it's made people question um, not only how they travel or where they go, but it's also made people question um, uh, uh, themselves in terms of why they go to certain places, right? I think um, uh, there's a lot of discussion about over-tourism, and you mentioned the book. Yes, the book was, uh, was a publication uh, jointly edited with um, uh, two colleagues, uh, Professor Marina Novelli at Brighton University, University of Brighton in the UK, and okay. Professor Claudio Milano in, at Lleida University in Ostalea in Barcelona. So when we talked about over-tourism, we published a, an article in the conversation maybe nearly two years ago, and there was a lot of discussion about over-tourism. Uh, and generally, when it was coming to over-tourism, it was communities that were protesting against over-tourism. While governments and industry were saying, oh, it's not, a, it's not a new problem, you know, it's something that we can fix. Um, so to, do, to go back to your question, Anna, in terms of how do we define over-tourism, um, one of the most important things to understand is that over-tourism is more than just overcrowding, right? Lots of places experience overcrowding, but overcrowding is a, is a temporary, uh, temporary situation. When we talk about over-tourism, we talk about how the shift goes from overcrowding in temporary sense to overcrowding in a permanent sense, and how that the, the the end result of all of that is that you you enforce permanent change to the lifestyles, well-being, and the, the cityscape. For example, if we talk about Barcelona as an example, you know, with a population of I think it's about 1.5 billion uh, million, sorry, uh, and then uh, you know visitation of I think over 25 to 30 million. The, the multiple of uh, um, resident visitors is quite huge, right? So when we get to that kind of level, we kind of ask ourselves, to what extent is tourism changing life for, for the residents of a destination? And if those changes are permanent, then we have a situation where over-tourism has kicked in. Now, as I said earlier, I'm based in Japan, and uh, often in, in, in the initial stages, everyone thought over-tourism was a European problem, right? Barcelona, Venice, London, uh, Amsterdam. But the more and more we think about it, over-tourism goes beyond Europe. And here in Japan, for example, uh, at the end of next year, the country is expected to attract about 40 million visitors, which is more than they've ever had. And in, in, in 2030, they're expecting 60 million. But already, oh, wow. without even getting to 40 million, a lot of the residents of cities like 
Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, uh, are saying, you know, um, not sure we can handle this amount of tourism. And it's, 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 um, it's raised the Japanese term, which is somewhat linked to over tourism, called tourism pollution. You know, so mm -hmm. at one point, tourism was at a level that was bearable and that communities were able to absorb. But when it gets to a point where communities can't absorb the numbers of tourists, when communities uh, aren't able to uh, uh, deal effectively with the numbers of tourists, then that's what we say is over tourism. Um, and over tourism is not an overreaction. You know, many uh, industry people clearly are defensive of, of criticism of the industry. And they say, well, you know, um, over tourism is really about poor management. And while I agree with that to some degree, um, but it goes beyond poor management. You know, some cities that have a very uh, highly organized tourism system um, suffer from excessive tourism beyond what they can what they can handle. You know, for example, you know, many cities like Barcelona, Venice, they are thinking to themselves, well, we don't really need to market ourselves anymore because people are coming anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and maybe we'll get to this later on. You know, social media has a big influence over this, so much so that a lot of times it doesn't matter what destinations do because um, we'll social, get there. that's right. Social media does all of that, the, the promotion for them already, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, that helps drive visitation without them even doing anything. And this is what happens when you're a popular destination. You know, the old phrase is, you know, tourists love to death the places that they like to visit um, mm -hmm. and that. But so we see this in Europe and in, in Japan. But what is interesting in some countries, like if you go to China and India, as an example, in, um, in uh, let's say, uh, the peak holiday periods in China, for example, a lot of tourist attractions are immensely crowded beyond what we could even imagine in places like Barcelona and Venice. But people don't complain about too many tourists. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so it's it's quite a complex thing, and it goes beyond simply overcrowding. Yeah, well, I guess in the case of China as well, it, it's also about personal space, no? It's it's more a cultural <laughs> aspect on right, how they right. deal with the, yeah. the amount of I think, I think also in China you have a lot of domestic tourists, right? And I and I wonder if this this uh, the challenge of tourism is made worse when the culture of the tourists is vastly different to the culture of the residents. Yes, you know? exactly. So, for example, right now, um, China is the largest contributor to global tour, uh, to international visitation to many destinations, right? And language, cultural traits, uh, acceptable behaviors, um, you know, take some time to understanding. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is what, as, as an Australian, it's always easy. Like, if, if you saw a thousand tourists at a, at, a, at a tourist attraction and they were American or British, they are easily absorbed into Australian society, right? Because it's mainly Anglo-Saxon still. But mm -hmm. if you had a thousand Chinese or a thousand Indians. Yeah, uh, you will notice it. Much more, yeah. So I think there might be some kind of cultural dissonance going on that's causing people to feel um, unhappy about tourists. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that completely. Uh, for example, I was thinking about when I was trying to define over-tourism reading what you wrote, uh, for me, was an idea of how tourism goes beyond the carrying capacity of a destination. So I wonder yes. if over tourism, apart from impacting the locals' lifestyles, does it yes. has a, a, an ecological dimension as well? 
Oh, totally. I mean, this is what I, I write a lot about. I, 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 you know, like, and it's not just tourism, right? In general, when we talk about economic affairs in countries and around the globe, we always talk about uh, the economic or the, the financial dimension of whatever it is we do. Rarely do we talk about the social and ecological costs of doing something, right? Um, <laughs> for example, we see in Australia at the moment the, the, the extent of bushfires, right? And everyone's saying, you know, m many in government are saying, oh, you know, the economic costs of this is going to be enormous. But what they don't consider are the social and ecological costs, which is very difficult to put a, to put a price on. You can't put a price on, you know, uh, the, 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 the extinction of uh, uh, threatened species. You can't put a price on the loss of a family home. You can't put, the pri put a price on the, the, the changing complexion of a city when it loses its sense of place, right? Um, so I think you're definitely right. When we talk about over tourism, we are, uh, you know, we are, we are not, to some degree, I don't feel we are talking so much about the economic impacts because let's face it, over tourism generally means more tourists and more income for the destination in general, right? Yes. But if we balance that off with the, the, the ecological and the social costs, for example, how do we put a cost on, how do we put a price on, on overcrowding? How do we put a price on the inconvenience that local residents have when they can't go and do what they would normally do? As an example, you know, La Boqueria in, in, in Barcelona is one of the most famous markets that a lot of local residents would do their shopping in. But these days, local residents can't get into shop because it's full of tourists taking photos. And on yeah. top of that, the vendors don't sell anything because the tourists don't actually buy a whole lot. They just want to take lots of photos. So, so. Um, that's the key question. You know, when we talk about carrying capacity in, in if we talk in tourism science terms, carrying capacity simplified is really, you know, what is the maximum number of people that a site or a destination can bear at any one time? And very often we don't know until, uh, in retrospect, uh, problems arise, right? Then we know that, oh, you know, we've gone over uh, what we can... can um, Sustain or... Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, um, so the issue of overcarrying capacity, carrying capacity is a really important one. And the, the, the idea of carrying capacity, if we only talk in economic terms, then we're failing to understand that, mm -hmm. you know, there's a social cost, there's an ecological cost. You know, for example, the term I raised before, sense of place. Uh-huh, exactly. Many, many people go to a destination because of the sense of place. You know, you go to Barcelona because of the culture and, and, and the art. You go to Venice because of the... The, the canals and the the, gond, gond, the gondolieres and, and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. But um, if life changes for them, how do we put a price on that? And we see that in many destinations that are suffering from overcrowding. For example, in Venice, we see the displacement of local residents, right? Who yeah. can no longer afford to live where they would normally live. We see... Um, Airbnbs, no? Right. We see... We see uh, we see uh, residential areas being um, uh, over overtaken by uh, short-term accommodation lets, especially through um, Airbnb and other similar platforms, which yeah. you know, uh, which um, then displaces people, um, changes the character of a place, um, modifies the sense of place and the reasons why people go there in the first place. And in a way, gentrification is something that often happens as a result of tourism growth, you know. Um, in most cities you know, during the industrial era, um, you know, a lot of people lived close to the city, right, where the factories were. 
But now what we find is um, the inner city areas are well sought after, not only by residents, but also by tourists who want to live close to all of the action, right? Yes. So as a result, you know, for example, in a, in a city like Amsterdam, many of the, uh, the Airbnb um, listings are not owned by locals, but actually owned by foreigners who don't even live in the city, right? And this is what happens very often. They um, stand the most to gain from tourism growth, but they don't bear the costs of tourism growth because they don't live in the cities. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue between residents and, and, and tourists, but not only residents and tourists, but who benefits from tourism? If you have a situation where most of the share, share accommodation is owned by investors from elsewhere, you know, they clearly are reaping the benefits, but they don't uh, bear the costs of um, uh, the inconvenience. They don't bear the cost of the lifestyle changes. They don't bear the cost of displacement. So, um, yeah, so tourism has uh, has these inadvertent effects. And it's not to say tourism is bad, right, Anna, because I, when, I, when I'm critical of tourism, I'm not saying we need to stop. I mean, I love being a tourist myself. Mm-hmm. It's a case of how do we reshape the way tourists engage with the destination, how do we reshape the way the tourism industry views cities, you know, not just as as endless commodities that they can continue to pour more people into, you know, how do city administrators see tourism, not just as a as a as a as a as a source of income, but more um, you know, how does it impact on the people who live there? And and you know, what is tourism all about in the first place? Is is a, is a bigger question. Uh, yeah completely like you said t- tourism is not is not a m- monster as it is as it's seen obviously because it impacts so much to the local communities but it can also be something that would help in yeah. many other aspects yes, so totally. but it's it's always this this thing of who came first the chicken or the egg is it tourism who's in the case of the sense of of place is it helping to strengthen identity values and traditions because of, I don't know, cultural heritage and the interest of tourism to understand the different culture? Yeah. Or is it actually putting in danger those markers of identity and traditions? Yeah, look, I think that's a really important one, especially in the heritage cities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it raises the question, you know, often in order to be a destination, you need to have reasons for people to want to go there. Um, and having heritage that's unique um, offers people an incentive to come. You know, for example, here in Japan, the city of Kyoto, right, it was one of the cities that was least damaged from the, the Second World War. So as a result, it has a lot of its uh, Japanese heritage that predates the Second World War intact, unlike lots of the other cities, right? Um, we see the same thing in, in Barcelona. You know, we see the the work of many artists, especially Gaudi, and everyone loves going there because of the work that Gaudi done. You see the same thing in Venice. We see the same thing in in other cities around the world. So heritage is a is a complex one because you are right. In some cases, tourism can be the very reason that gives pe- gives people an incentive to preserve and maintain the heritage that they have, rather than see it as something that's disposable right but yeah. then but then that's there's a there's it gets to a point it gets to a threshold beyond which um uh it becomes counterproductive you know for example when we talk about heritage very often uh the whole idea of preserving critical heritage 
uh, and, and, and the links to uh, having it listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site uh, yeah. is often based around this idea of pre preservation. Yet, as soon as you list something as a World Heritage Site, everybody wants to go there, right? So there's, yeah. this, there's this perverse impact. Um, so it's not as easy to say that, yes, uh, tourism preserves and maintains heritage and on balance is good. I think it depends on, on the context and the situation, right? Because in some places, heritage often gets destroyed to make way for residential development, hotel development uh, yeah. and the like. So, um, so you know, for example, we, we see in somewhere like, uh, let's look, think of an example like Machu Picchu as an example, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, recent developments uh, see that uh, they're planning an airport a, a runway up there so so they can fly tourists up there uh, you know and already it's under stress from excessive visitation and what they're trying to do is do something that's only going to make matters worse right? yeah yeah and, and in the case of Machu Picchu I know it's they've been changing the rules to access because of the amount of tourists that are going up there it's yeah, not yeah it's going beyond what they can sustain right right and then the yeah. question becomes one of planning and management you know but this is the difficulty. Um, very often, it's the economic incentive that drives a government or a, a municipality to develop tourism. And if you say to them, we want you to plan and manage for less tourism, um, it's a very difficult thing to try and convince people to, to do, right? Which is why in many cities, you hear, people, you hear industry and, and critics saying, well, rather than more tourists coming, we want fewer tourists who spend more money. You know, that, yeah. seems, that seems to be the go-to plan for everyone. We don't want a million tourists. We were spending $1,000. We would rather have 500,000 tourists spending $2,000, you know, yeah. to give us the same outcome. Um, and, you know, and some, it's working for center, 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 uh, some countries, right? Like Bhutan, for example, that's as the right, way they work. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, uh, the question is, does it work? I mean, uh, I hear that Bhutan is starting to loosen the, the, the restrictions somewhat, but um, uh, that, that's, that, that's, that, that's the difficulty. Um, some, some, for example, in Barcelona, and uh, my colleague in Barcelona, Professor Claudio Milano, we wrote a paper recently talking about degrowing tourism. In other words, reducing the number of tourists that are coming to a place. You can imagine what people who rely on tourism and the tourism enterprises in the city would say to that. They would say, are you crazy? You're telling us uh, to earn less money. You know, how would you like it if we told you in your job, do less work and earn less money? Uh, yeah. So there, therein lies the complex complexities. And some would say, okay, this is what happens when a destination becomes excessively dependent on tourism and doesn't have a diversified economic base. to learn more about overtourism, we will continue to discuss the effects and issues surrounding overtourism in our second part of the interview with Joseph. Make sure you check out his work on overtourism in his recent book called Overtourism, Excesses, Discontents and Measures in Travel and Tourism. This book was a collaboration with Milano Shira Novelli and it was published last year. Don't forget that at www.thatwonderchick.com you can have more information about this topic and learn more about our guests. If you like this podcast, you can support it by buying a coffee on our website. It would be great to get better gear for the next seasons. 
and stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to be discussing strategies of degrowing tourism that some countries have started to apply. And maybe it's time to rethink if we should continue to travel or not. That's something that we're going to be starting to discuss with Joseph on the last and second part of the interview with him. So for all of this and more, visit our website www.thatwaterchick.com. Thank you and until the next time.